0: Welcome to the Daily Roto Premium PGA Podcast, going for the green. I'm Mike Leone here with Colin Drew to break down the RBC heritage. But before we do that, Colin, we got to recap the Masters. Just, you know, absolutely stunning that Tiger comes away with the victory by one stroke in a tournament that was pretty wild. I mean, especially Saturday, Sunday into the weekend. We saw some really low scores Saturday. We saw a ton of high-end golfers in the top 10. It seemed like anybody had a chance. I was really just inconsolable if Molinari was going to win because of course I didn't play him again. You know, one of my last minute decisions and you guys probably wouldn't have heard the end of me tilting. had Molinari won and I didn't play him and didn't make money on him yet again. Um, But we were talking about this before the podcast. It was really cool seeing Tiger win, but it wasn't necessarily great for our DFS lineups. (laughs)
1: No, I mean, hey, it was good on FanDuel. I got to free roll an MME on oh, yeah. FanDuel. Get they give you two K back and let you keep whatever you want as well. So uh that ended up being quite successful. And plus Tiger's price was a little bit more affordable on FanDuel than what it was on DK. Um I had wrote him up as being overpriced on DK. I still feel like that was the case. And even with him being the winner, he wasn't found in the millionaire maker winning lineup. Um Obviously, in smaller field tournaments, it was pretty crazy because he was 14% owned in the Millie Maker, I think a little high for that price tag, but he was like 3 or 5% owned in some of the buy-ins above 1K. So if people were able to get on him, that alone was enough to have a pretty big profit. Definitely one of the most exciting masters I can remember in memory, not just because of Tiger, but like you said, the leaderboard was stacked from the beginning. Then there were guys making huge charges on Saturday because the... The scoring conditions were easier than previous masters and so guys were able to go exceptionally low and close some pretty big gaps not that like the course played easy in general but the low scores were definitely out there um and and i mean the way that tiger did it was was awesome too there was plenty of drama i know i was traveling back from hanging out with you guys in buffalo and i had my flight scheduled nice and early in the morning so i could watch all of the final round and then it got moved up because of the weather. I ended up sitting in BWI airport after I landed for like two hours just to watch the end of Tiger, just so I couldn't, I didn't have to miss it. Um, it was probably the the best Masters that I've seen. It might be the best Masters that that we get in our lifetime, especially considering the nostalgia associated with Tiger.
0: Yeah, it was um, you know really remarkable for me. I on my single entry team, I had Sergio Garcia, which was uh, a disaster because basically if you had sergio garcia paul casey or justin rose you you were done heading into the weekend because we had such a high percentage of guys make the cut uh made for some good dfs sweats i know mayo hit the a big parlay for him which was good to see the made cut parlay do you remember how many guys it was
1: uh he had a few of them out there the one he hit maybe it was like 10 or so guys it was interesting you know the books letting you do correlated parlays in general is surprising because there are edges that can open up and he definitely was was ahead of the curve on that something he's done the last few years but for the masters the fact that anybody within 10 strokes of the leader makes the cut means that if somebody doesn't pull away then there's a chance to have a really high number of golfers playing on the weekend and that's what happened and uh definitely a great bet for him and anyone that followed it uh, always really good to see there um, I know
0: last year he like on his draft two years in a row show, <laughs> two years in a row he lost it by one guy towards the end I think it was Kisner going into the water last year so really good to see that hold uh, would have been something if I think it was Louie maybe who had a chance to birdie 18 or something to move the, the plus threes out to plus two on the 10 stroke lead so glad that that did not happen and the pyramid scheme you know fell apart Sunday a little bit so. Uh, for me, my strategy, is, you know, like I said, I got killed in single entry because I had Sergio Garcia. I had a pretty good team besides that, but it just didn't matter because uh, you had to have 6-6 six to six for the most part unless you just really rocked out the leaders. For MME in the Millie Maker, I had locked Dustin Johnson. And you know, my thought process there was you probably are going to need him in your lineup if he wins the tournament, about a 10% chance. Well, the way it broke you know, the winning lineup didn't have Tiger, and Tiger was cheaper than DJ. And it, it really so I'm I'm thinking through whether or not it was a good idea. I think for a chance to win the Millie Maker, what I was going for was maybe a a more expensive leaderboard in terms of one two and have some combinations that other people didn't have. And after the second day it looked really good. DJ was in contention. A lot of the lower end guys were having some good DK scoring and squeaked in the cut with the plus three Saturday, it absolutely crumbled because you had all the mid tier guys go ham. And I was pretty much went from, you know, like I had like 20 top thousand teams, a handful of top hundred teams after day two. And, you know, I had nothing, you know, even remotely close heading into the final day. And DJ made that little run at the end, which was kind of exciting. I got like half my money back because he finished T2 and had him on so many teams, but uh, the way it broke for the masters this year you know even if he won that strategy wouldn't have paid off so i'm thinking through that a little bit whether or not that's a good idea i know when we talked about it on the masters podcast last week the thing that drew said and that i've said in the past is it's tough to lock a guy that expensive because you need a certain outcome for it to, to pay off uh, whereas somebody else like a molinari for example in the million maker lineup even though he didn't win um just because he had such a good performance overall and finishing fifth with the scoring was fine dj also as a more tangent here but dj's dk scoring was terrible the entire yeah, week.
1: brooks crushed like that was the big thing that I, I know we were talking and when there was that log jam at t1 um it was impossible to tell how your lineups were doing but brooks was still like 10 points clear so That's kind of what happened is, um, yeah, Brooks just went nuts from a DK perspective, obviously had a couple expensive doubles, but um, for the DK, it was enough to offset the difference in placement points and uh, Tiger doesn't score quite as much from a DK perspective and DJ was playing more error free than he was uh, going low. Um, in the end, like it was a losing weekend DK for me, winning week of FanDuel, losing week overall. The most frustrating for me was I was pretty live with the Xander hundred to one ticket, can't lay at a big price, and then had added DJ live at like six to one. So um, had a bunch of guys in contention. Oh my God, in Yeah, so I think for us in fantasy, I know Data Golf was low on Kepka. Um, that was the the biggest difference in my lineups on DraftKings was just not being able to get that brooks exposure
0: yeah it kind of hurt me the way i because i went like one single entry and the millie maker approach because i haven't been in tune i feel like the next major i might do more three max type stuff just because the way this one turned out you know the way the lineups won these are the type of lineups i usually make so i was kicking myself a little bit but as you noted with the brooks scoring he ends up at 114.5 xander at 109 uh and tiger ended up at 115 so they were you know right in Uh, line with him and there just really wasn't that cheap guy that scored really well um, that could help more top heavy lineups but I guess that's probably enough with the Masters Uh, we can talk about the RBC heritage as Colin you put in the cliff notes also known as Luke Donald season Uh, the course history is Uh, definitely something to talk about. We'll talk about it a little bit, but we'll talk about the overall course first. It's a par 71. It's 7,100 yards long. First on tour, narrowest fairways, 38th and par adjusted distance. It was the 18th toughest course on tour last season. Uh, Even uh, par cut line with winner, you know, minus 10 plus or minus a few strokes. So uh, you're looking at, again, the cut line around even and the winner around minus 10. So It's it is a difficult course, and you know that's going to affect your roster construction to a certain extent. Colin, do you want to talk about the weather potentially being a factor here? Yeah,
1: it's one of the things. uh, Coastal course with the smaller greens and the narrow fairways that we mentioned. So the weather can be a pretty big factor in those types of conditions because it's really exposed to all the elements. Um, So it has been a factor of this course previously, and right now it looks like that could be the case again. Extremely gusty conditions expected on Friday and Saturday, which could generally make the scoring even more difficult than it has been in the past Um, and from a a fantasy perspective yeah the scoring conditions being more difficult would place more of an emphasis on the win bonuses just because uh, the you know those will make up a higher percentage of the points Uh, early in the week right now so it's hard to tell if there's gonna be any edge or angle related to trying to either avoid a day entirely if a play gets canceled or avoid certain waves Uh, but it does look like there's going to be pretty significant weather conditions going on in that area, so it's definitely a week where I would try to monitor the weather up till lock. Like you said though, man, it's hard to get up for this week. Sometimes you go from the Masters and Tiger to RBC Heritage and Luke Donald.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you're going down narrative street, you do wonder if there's any of you know, it's hard for us to get up to play DFS and click buttons on the computer and gamble on things. Is it hard for uh DJ and Xander coming off these second place finishes, Cantley? To uh you know, put in a full effort. You know, it's something that I think we talked about last year on this exact same mm-hmm. podcast that you, you know, it just you, you don't maybe, but there's just no way for us to know.
1: Yeah, impossible to know. I would say that the narratives like it, it felt like like Molinari, Xander, like the, I mean, they were it, they were in the thick of things. Xander a little bit of a late run, but Molly like a lot of emotional attacks going into that battle. DJ after the round, he was. I mean, he came from so deep. He was kind of like. Yeah, like I, you know, I played well. I just didn't quite play well enough. Like it didn't feel like there was as much like emotional expenditure there, and I kind of feel the same way about. I mean, Cantley, I guess he he came from so deep that he probably still is pretty happy with how things went over the weekend, even though he he unraveled a, a little bit towards the end. Um, so I don't know that. I guess the Molinari would be the one guy if you had any of those concerns, you'd have the most about just because pretty emotional drain just being in that battle with tiger in the fourth round
0: yeah Molley, maybe xander a little bit i mean he was mm-hmm. really in the thick of it too mo- most of the final round um but yeah you know looking at the course fit here you want to look at gains off the tee but off the tee you know as a single metric doesn't differentiate between distance and accuracy and accuracy is a bit more important this week uh this shot gain approach is definitely something to really look at and of course you always want guys you know yeah well or good around the green but um it looks like a shot skiing approach if you were to pin down one thing you know kind of that and accuracy
1: yeah and I would just say that in general I mean we'll go through the course history we'll talk about some of the guys that do well and they have a lot of characteristics in common um the stroke gained off the tee if you don't want to go to the path of like finding out like driving accuracy and adjusting that for field conditions like it's a lot of work to try to unpack some of that stuff but generally if a guy kind of has a uh, like a middling rank in strokes gained off the tee and they're elite in approach that means like they're gaining some strokes off the tee but they're not like a dj and then they're elite in approach that's typically going to be a sign that they're a pretty accurate player and a lot of their strokes um, gained off the tee or a good chunk can also be d- driven via accuracy of post distance and that applies to the guys like Kucher, can like can't lay kind of above average distance as well but Um, I do think that's something I'm going to be weighing a little bit as far as making judgment calls between guys that project pretty closely, uh, because I do think that the fit as far as being guys that are accurate and good iron players ends up panning out a little bit. We'll, of course, talk about Dustin Johnson when we go through the players, because I do think it's a compelling case to be made this week. There are a lot of interesting dynamics that you're not typically going to see. um, But why don't you take us through some of the guys that have a little bit better course history?
0: Yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll talk with Luke, talk about Luke Donald goat first. Uh, he's had a had a miscut, but then second, second, fifteenth, second, third, thirty seventh, second, third, second. So that's pretty wild for someone of his skill level, um, just to be so consistently up there. And the course history conversations interesting. I know for the Masters last week, Data Golf came out with an article showing that you know it did really matter at the Masters, uh, you know more than we normally give it credit for and it's hard to tell if part of that is like a master specific thing or just because we have the relevant data because it's the same a lot of the same guys playing the same course over time so we can really ha- are able to measure it a bit more and I've definitely become a little bit more open-minded to the course history uh, type of narrative so uh, I, I think it's something that's hard to catch all you might have to bump kind of specific players here and there but you also have Jim Furyk with two wins Webb Simpson uh nine of six or nine out of ten has made the cut Kisner five out of six Kuchar has made the cut 10 out of 10 times with five top 15s you've got you know three st- three straight speed finishes right around 10th place uh and then Bryson DeChambeau had a third place finish a miscut a fourth place finish Cantley uh, another small sample guy who finished third and seventh in two years so those are the main guys in terms of course history that really sticks out
1: yeah and that kind of directly aligns with the co- course fit uh kind of piece of the conversation luke donald like used to be one of the best iron players in the world and um, I think there's for sure some merit to course history the the challenge is of course always trying to figure out how much to weigh it and what does it really mean um, So I do think you know, we talk a lot about course fit in some weeks I'm dismissive of it because the course doesn't really have any unique characteristics to it And I feel like people are just trying to fit a narrative to things But I do think rbc heritage is one of those courses that has very unique characteristics I think that course fit or course is going to matter a lot this week course history i think um obviously kind of weighs in with course fit to a certain degree and there are going to be guys that i'm going to be bumping above and beyond the baseline projections kind of based on some of those factors uh i know talked a little bit with data golf's article about like how much you would even in the most extreme conditions like phil mickelson at augusta how much you'd want to bump someone above their skill line and and i was looking at something like a max of like five dk points so even someone like luke donald even if I bump him a bunch, I still don't think he ends up being a core play this week, but um, I'm going to be trying to take that stuff into account more this week than I will the traditional week on tour.
0: Yeah. Another guy that we didn't mention, but Brandon Grace, uh, if you look at the data golf course history index, only 12 rounds, but has the uh, highest strokes gained adjusted for field strength uh, over those 12 rounds of any other golfer. Uh, we can get into DraftKings Kings plays by price range and, uh, this is where the dustin johnson conversation occurs uh, and, and it's a difficult conversation to have to know his true value data golf's initial you know, default projections really like dustin johnson quite a bit i've kind of messed around with the sliders and you know the default they have you know long-term form is most important short-term form as about half as important as long-term form and Uh, course history by default really isn't in the projections i you know i'll probably manually tweak stuff a little bit but just to get it in there i've made that about half as important with the sliders as short-term form so um that's about a quarter of long-term form and dustin johnson our top value even after you do that and that's because just his skill relative to this field gives him some really good win probabilities have him over 25 percent to have a top three performance which is you know really huge and going to rack up a lot of place points with place points being pretty important at a tougher course uh the flip side to the dustin johnson argument is do you want to go more balanced lineups and this is a course that mitigates you know dj's biggest advantage which is going to be distance. so how do you feel about dj being you know what you would kind of i guess call a bad course fit
1: yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I'm curious to see how the market handles it. And right now I have him at like eighteen percent ownership. I would love to see it come down and I'd love to play DJ this week. Um I think people are a little bit dismissive of how good DJ is all around, how good he is at approach, best ranked player in the field in that category and around the green and putting as well. Uh he hadn't been playing this event um so not a ton of history. He did come in sixteenth last year. He was inside the top ten in the field last year in strokes gain T D green. So that's just confirmation there that he's still going to be one of the best T to green players in the field, even though you reduce the power that he can sometimes gain off the tee um, on some of these holes. He'll still be able to gain strokes off the tee in general, and uh, I think it's still a good week to roster DJ. Maybe he's not quite as dominant as the data golf projections have him, but he's still dominant enough to be in my lineups, and I'm hopeful that his ownership won't reflect that.
0: Other guys above 10K, you've got Molinari at 11.3, Schauffele at 10.9, Brayson DeChambeau at 10.4, Kucher at 10K. With Moley, I feel like our projection on him is a little low. I felt that way last week. It surprises me a little bit, but at that 11.3 price tag, even if you were to bump him a few points, he's really not going to get in your runs. And then if you're worried at all about the narrative we discussed with you know having the lead, uh, going into the water on 12, and, you know, it, it's not... I don't think it's going to kill you to not play Molly this week while she's going to go out and win. But uh, I think the guy I'm most interested here, I just kind of a little bit of a feel thing, but Bryson DeChambeau, uh, he played pretty well at the masters was disappointing after he had a really strong first round. Uh, he's played well here two of the three years. Uh, so he's someone that I think I'm really interested in. I know Kucher. Is likely going to draw a lot of ownership, and our initial ownership projections do have him as the chalkiest at 10k or above. I think that's a combination of him being the cheapest of the 10k plus players, and uh, he's just so safe. He has a strong course history, a lot of people are going to use him.
1: Yeah, I, I like Coocher. I think he's really good value. Um, I think all these guys are going to end up being guys that I'm probably going to be underweight the field on, especially if I take a big stand and DJ. Uh, kind of. Uh, put a chunk of lineups on DJ trying to capitalize on ownership there and then um, maybe bypassing some of this or going underweight on the collection as a whole Um, I I think when we talk about the the course fit there's not really a a negative doc against any of these guys Um, for the most part they're all inside the top 30 in the different strokes gained categories with the exception of Kuchar who's who's losing or you know outside the top 50 and strokes gained off the tee in this field but is elite in approach and so I think that you know that kind of aligns with what we think about with Kuchar and you know not being the longest guy but you're not necessarily going to need that this week um, I mean I think it makes sense maybe to go underweight on these guys and, and to get more exposure to Patrick Cantlay and Dustin Johnson. And that's kind of the initial lean for me. But I think all these guys are very live and there's not really a reason for course fit to knock any of them. The one thing I just add about Molly and the way that the data golf approaches our fantasy projections is uh, they're not including any of the data for WGC match play just because it's hard to account for that. And then they're also they do use strokes game data to weigh to a small degree. Um, and so like Bolinari's, you know, any strokes gain data that he picked up from the masters For example, they'll include the masters rounds, but there's no strokes gained off the tee or tee degree and stuff there So a little bit, um less of uh, weight in that regard Um, I don't know. I, I think molly maybe his projection is a tiny bit low But at the same time like 300 bucks to get to dj and uh, it seems like that would be the move for me
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um looking at sub 10k the 9k range you mentioned Patrick Cantley who's one of our highest rated values and you've also got Jordan Spieth in this range good course history it seems like people are going to play him though and he just you know you need to see him return to form before you're going to play him at you know moderately high price tags and moderately high ownership Jim Furyk interests me as a guy that I think you might want to bump in your MME runs just because i think some of the long term data on him in terms of long-term form is probably a little bit bad because he was dealing with an injury that might be me you know just fitting a narrative yeah fitting a narrative uh, but if you look at you know since February this year he's got a t14 t37 t9 2 t18 t23 so you know pretty consistent results for him and a guy who's done well here the hard part I have with him and really a lot of these course history guys is even if I give it weight do I want like to your, buy into ownership because the market's right. giving it so much weight? And that seems to like always screw me up.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely seems like that's the case. You're like, okay, well I'm going to bump this guy a little bit and just bumping myself right into chalk. And it kind of erases some of the benefits of it. Um, I tend to agree there's something there with Furek, like something, at least something small, um, in the long term data. Uh, and the short term data has been a lot more consistent kind of doing, doing Furek things, right? He's making the cut, lingering inside the top 25 um and then occasionally flashing a little bit better than that and with with that in the course history yeah i mean i think there's there's reason to bump him a little bit i don't know if it's enough to, to take an overweight stance though and um in general i would say it feels like this entire range is going to be uh, really popular right now most of the guys are projecting early in the week between 15 and 20 percent ownership uh like and so I would rather take just the quality of golfer at the same ownership and even lower ownership and kind of move off of Furick down to to Webb Simpson, who had a really strong finish at the Masters, a place he hasn't historically played well, and then Tommy Fleetwood. Um, so I, I think my initial lean is, even if I find those reasons to, to bump Furick a little bit, that the ownership would still push me back to, guys I said, I just objectively consider better players than Simpson and Fleetwood.
0: Yeah, and my initial instinct, like if I was, doing like a lock player and spray an MME, Fleetwood at ninety two hundred if he's I mean he's definitely not gonna be low ohm, but if he's not gonna be massive chalk, that feels like a really good price tag on him and it lets you build some balanced lineups where you can use you can do him with DJ and make some lineups or you can go balance with him and even Web to start. Or we can look at this, you know, sub nine K range where uh, you know, the strongest value we have is down at 8,200, which has been on. You've also got Brandon Grace in this range, who we don't like too much, but he's, again, like a really good course history guy. Uh, so, you know, looking at this range in the high eights, you've got Jason Kokrak, if you want to tilt putting. He seems like not a great course fit. Maybe that's just in my head, but just as a guy who's not that good of a putter. And, you know, some of his benefit is distance. Is that a guy that you might negatively dock?
1: Uh, he's he's been a disaster at the course uh, previously, and it I'm kind of curious to see where his ownership comes. I mean, he's he's been a strokes gain darling in general uh, this year, like crushing off the tee and on approach, pretty consistently. So if there's going to be an opportunity to buy low on him with low ownership, then I might have interest. At the same time, I don't think it's a standout track, and so if ownership lingers, then I'd be fine pivoting um, onto some of the other guys. So I'll kind of let that be the decision. I think with Kokrak, because there's plenty to like in this range, um, like Charles Hall III, obviously someone you always feel very safe about getting through the cut, getting through the weekend, and then um, from a fit perspective, I, I mean, Ian Poulter uh, profiles pretty similarly to Kucher for me, and then Matthew Fitzpatrick, and Cam Smith, uh, I think both profile very similar to the current edition of Jordan Spieth. And, um, you know, knowing Spieth's track record here, I feel like these two guys could potentially fit the course in the same way and have some of the young talent um, and potentially some of the lower ownership that you're going to get out of this range. So I think there's a couple uh, attractive pivots if you're looking to kind of put a ownership cap on your rosters.
0: Yeah, and uh, another guy that's somewhat interesting to me is Mark Leishman here at 8K, who just does not project for very much ownership initially. We've got him projected at about 6%. So that's someone that I'm keeping my eye on. If we go to the sub 8K range up top, we have Justin Harding, who's been playing really well leading the group, but uh, it does seem to be overpriced right now. Uh, and this is you know, part of the reason why you might go balance. You got a lot of guys in the mid sevens. You know, Russell Knox is a guy you would think would fit this course pretty well. The way that he plays, you've got Rafa Cabrero Bello at 7,600. Uh, so there's, you know, there's not really a shortage of guys you can use to fill out your roster in 7K. There's not like one guy that's heads and shoulders above everybody else, but there's a, you know a handful of viable plays here.
1: Yeah, and I think you are able to start to find low ownership, and it's kind of what related to the question above when we're talking about the Kucher and Cantlay and things like that. Like all these guys, all those guys are are looking to carry heavy-ish ownership, and as you get below AK, you can actually find single-digit ownership guys that are certainly live to top five the event, and in, in many of the cases, they're live to win. Yeah, they're not as live as DJ, but um, if you can pair them up with some of those po- more popular builds up top, so. I definitely am really warm on Cam Smith uh, this week, like I mentioned. I think Mark Leishman's is a great play. I imagine he'll pick up some buzz as the week rolls on just because of the like long-term class of golf he is. And then um, I, I do think it's a range we'll start to, even though they project decently, guys like Russell Knox... Uh, stand out as potentially being overowned because of their course history, where you can pivot to pretty similarly rated players for a fraction of the ownership. And uh, kind of curious how that shakes out with um, some of the other guys that I think profile well, someone like uh, Zach Johnson or Brant Snedker and Adam Hadwin, Like those guys seem like the type of player that aligns with the the really strong course fit and the really strong course histories for other players that we talked about. And um, for one reason or another, I think they're all going to come in at single digit ownerships.
0: Okay. And as we move down the pricing spectrum, looking at the sub 7K range, uh, it starts to get a little bit tougher to find you know strong plays here as you're you know scrolling through the pricing. you've got some guys that are like slightly positive values, not a lot of huge positive values. I think part of that uh, plays into maybe wanting a more balanced roster construction, but I'm always a little bit more biased to that. It seems like uh, if you're gonna you know, go sub 7k, you're better off going to like the mid 6ks than you are like 6,900, 6,800. We've got PRC at 6,700 as a pretty strong value. Uh, Michael Thompson at 6,500, Rory Sabatini at 6,400. If you're just looking at the purely the data golf projections, uh, is there anybody sub 7K that sticks out to you as, you know, that that projection looks a little high for the course fit or, you know, based on the course fit, that person probably should get bumped a little bit.
1: No, I I mean, I do think the, the fact, one of the things that did stick out to me was just that there are more names that are live in this range than you typically have in another week. And that's why the, the kind of price up that so i typically cut my player pool off like 15 or 20 percent odds t20 depending on the week and you kind of have some guys like uh, joel damon and kevin nah who i feel like if they're, if they're playing well could be nice course fits and the fact that there's a bunch of golfers down here um means the ownership's going to get spread out so uh it is a week where some of those guys guys like Ches Reeve i think uh sam ryder Scott Pierce, you mentioned some of the guys you covered, they're all going to enter my submission uh, as far as MME builds. And I think that there's enough of them here that probably won't load up on any individual one. And some of these guys are, you know, they're 60% plus to make the cut as well. And depending on how the weather draw shakes out, I do think it's a week where dipping below 7K is viable in single entry or 3MX builds. And again, I think that opens up the possibility of using uh, Dustin Johnson or pairing them up with a, a really nice balanced build.
0: All right, Drewby. Now the Masters and Tiger winning wasn't great for DFS, but can you provide us with a one and done update?
1: Yeah, we. I think uh, we touted Tiger in one and done. Or I don't know if we touted him on the podcast, but we played him in one and done. <laughs> but we used him. <laughs> <laughs> I think Drew was the one. I got to give him the shout out who made the final decision. We were between a couple guys with the the strategy, uh, so we were able to vault up into first in segment two on Gup's corner in the one and done. So uh that's nice. I feel like that was that was a long battle for the segment two, but it was nice that we were able to, you know, kind of punt on that team when we felt like we were dead in segment one. And that team actually is up to 75th overall. So not only are we live for the segment, leading the segment, but we're we're live overall. And I think that changes the strategy for us this week for sure. We have three entries, so a couple of them I still think it it does make sense to punt um, because at the end of the day, like those those other two entries are probably dead and we don't want to waste too many good players. But um I think for the the build that had tiger last week, the build in first, it's gonna make a lot of sense for us to pay play one of the biggest favorites in this tournament.
0: So you know, who I guess like if you had three guys to narrow it down to
1: yeah, that's a good question. So obviously some of these guys uh you can't use because you've already used them. So mm-hmm. I don't have that list of I, hope I can pull it up right now because there's sites pretty quick. Um I know Davis have...
0: if you want me to give you some time to pull that up. Yeah. Davis's lock is Tommy Fleetwood in one and done. So, you know, maybe Davis locks him in one and done. I lock him in DFS for MME perspective. Uh we'll see, that might be uh an interesting strategy. I um, think uh do you have the list up?
1: Yeah, I got the list. So the guys that we, we can't use that we would probably consider is Kucher. We'd use him already. Fleetwood already. DJ used already. Um, but we had not used Patrick Cantley on this entry. And we have not used Francesco Molinari on this entry. We've not used Bryson DeChambeau on this entry. So I feel like those are the three guys that I would narrow it down to for our entry where we definitely want to play one of the biggest favorites
0: yeah that's tough between Cantley and Moley
1: yeah I mean the benefit for uh or the the reason to play Moley is potentially that um you know it is a good course fit for both of them but potentially Moley is going to play uh fewer events in the states maybe he plays more of a European tour schedule he took some time off um earlier in the year as well so we don't necessarily know what type of schedule we're going to get out of him whereas like uh, can't lay we'll probably could use him at the memorial or something like that but both those guys it'll be a it'll be a tough decision i guess the emotional toll of molly i just I need you to, to reach out to him on the phone and figure <laughs> out if he's going to be firing
0: i yeah i don't i feel like he's a dude that just can go out and play regular but i don't know yeah he did so. look pretty bummed i think i would have been too uh, <laughs> looking at some outright values for this week i uh, you know dj actually pops across the different sports books and know it depends if you're docking him for course fit or not but as a guy that actually has you know greater than one or two percent win odds uh you know there's a decent positive expected value for him across a few of the books including bet 365 and bovada
1: yeah and the the other guy i was going to throw out specifically on fanduel sportsbook really big price on sam Ryder at 280 to one who i think is a, a decent course fit here as well DataGolf has that as plus EV, uh, $0.22 cents of EV, and it's just mispriced compared to the rest of the betting market. You're getting some extra value out of him. So that's something it's always nice to see as a, a cross-reference against the DataGolf odds is kind of the efficiency of the market. And um, Patrick Cantley, another guy that at FanDuel Sportsbook, is 24 to 1, and DataGolf has him priced at 20 to 1. And that's the best price you can get. Unlike my book, here bet 365 is 20 to one as well. So uh, I do think those things matter. If you have the ability to bet multiple places, definitely good to check that stuff out. And that's one of the biggest features of our betting tools is the ability to easily see that. So Patrick can't lay a plus EV bet at 24 to one on FanDuel Sportsbook, but probably a pass at 20 to one or worse, if that's the odds that you have available.
0: Yeah. And then also Scott Piercy, at 160 to one. Uh, pops quite a bit on FanDuel Sportsbook specifically it looks like the best odds as well on FanDuel relative to all the other options provided in the PGA Tour bet tracker that you can uh, check out as part of the premium subscription on Uh Colin anything else before we sign
1: off no I think uh you know for for me trying to figure out the right concepts to play this week trying to figure out if it's a MME week or a three max week or or both you know probably go with both but um Definitely have been having more success at FanDuel this year, which is um, a little bit surprising because it wasn't a site I usually focused on for golf. Not sure how much of that is just variance, how much of that is driven by the smaller contest so you can realize your edge quicker, or how much of that um, is driven by the fact that the pricing is a little softer so you end up just playing a little bit better pool of golfers. But uh, it's something I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out the rest of the year. And I would highly recommend playing on both sites, especially um, if you're someone who's putting down a decent amount of action. It's a good way to get exposure to a broader pool of players without doing it in a price inefficient manner.
0: All right. Thank you everybody for tuning in to Going for the Green presented by Daily Roto. If you don't have a premium subscription, make sure you head over to dailyroto.com slash premium. You can get access to our optimizer for golf, our place probabilities, our expected value Uh, bet tool which is really cool you can look at head-to-head three ball matchups too if you're into those so uh, just a whole lot to offer and uh, best of luck in all your contests this week